Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Initiate. Broadcasting from the Rock and Roll Bomb Shelter. I'm ready. Surrounded by radioactive biscuits and the world-famous Rock Eyes. Located 40 feet beneath the radio station. It's the Big Fat American Rock Show. With your host, the Doc of Rock, the Professor. Everyone's favorite mad music magician, crazy uncle, and your best friend in the whole wide world, Zach Martin. I'm Zach Martin. This is the Big Fat American Rock Show, as heard on New HD and New HD LA. I'm with my good friend, Eric Bloom. We go back a long way. I think it's really good to... Tell everybody and the music fans of Blue Oyster Cult what you're up to these days. I'll start with a little story that you've heard from me uh, every time that we talk music. The first concert I ever went to, Eric, was Blue Oyster Cult and Black Sabbath, 1979 at Madison Square Garden, where you had the pyrotechnics incident. And so I had to do some sort of sales job to get my parents to agree to let me go because I was still... In high school, I could have driven myself and all of that stuff, but they were like, you're not going there to New York City in Madison Square Garden. It's dangerous. I'm like, no, man, it's cool. It's Blue Oyster Cult, man. It's one of my favorite bands. Mom, you like Blue Oyster Cult? She goes, I do like Blue Oyster Cult, so let them go, Bill. And then as we're at the concert at one point, all these fire trucks are racing over by the post office on 34th and 8th, and I'll never forget that night for as long as I live. The first concert, Blue Oyster Cult. How about that? And uh, there might have been some marijuana being passed around or something. Yes. My goodness. The, the whole place smelled like a gigantic bong. I came out and I had the munchies. All I wanted was pizza and hot dogs. You're right. It did smell like that. <laughs> Quite memorable. And you guys rocked the house. You know, when you think about the history of Blue Oyster Cult, what's your, your first reaction when someone says, what's it like for you to be a member of Blue Oyster Cult? How can I answer that? I mean, I don't uh, know. It's, it's, it's all I've done for over 50 years, you know? Yeah. Did you think that um, when you first started out in rock and roll that Blue Oyster Cult would get as big as it did? Uh, probably not. I mean, I've told the story more than once. It was all a matter of happenstance for me. I was working in Sam Hash in Hempstead. Long Island, and uh, a bunch of guys walked in to buy amps. I was the salesman. By coincidence, we knew a couple of the same people. I got a phone call a few days later after that schmooze in the music store, and they uh, called me and said, uh, you know, if you still have uh, your truck and a PA from your old band, could you come down to do sound for us at the Electric Circus Thanksgiving Day of 68? So I did, and Sandy Perlman came over to me after the show and said, uh, how'd you like to work for the boys? So um, I moved into the band house, I think, Christmas day of 68, March forward about uh, April of 69. 
Uh, I'm cutting a lot out, though, but uh, yeah. uh, April of 69, uh, Sandy came over to me while I was watching TV in the band house and said, the, the boys would like to talk to you. They asked me would I like to join the band as the lead vocalist. That's a very shortened version of that story. You're also a great guitar player. When did that come into play? I'm a mediocre rhythm player. We got two very terrific guitar players in our band right now. Right. But, uh, you know, I bought a guitar my senior year of high school and uh, kept it until I got into college. And I knew a few chords. One line I have said in the past, back then I knew three chords and I know four now. So I have progressed a little bit. That's good. Good to progress. Uh, so, uh, you know, Buck says, you know, this song needs a rhythm guitar part. So here's what to play. And that I can do. You know, and I use guitar to write songs and stuff, but think of myself more as a, a as a band's frontman more than a, a musician. All right, fair enough. And and then on the latest video that I saw that's available on iTunes, Tainted, that that video. Yeah, you're playing the keyboards. Yeah, I I, uh, I was in a band in college. That's another long story. But in 1965, 66, 67, I was a college student, and uh, the guy in our band had to go to summer school, and we were going to play all through the summer. So we said, what are we going to do without that guy? He was the lead guitar player. So we said, well, you know, we can get a keyboard if you could learn a few chords on the keyboard. So I learned a few chords on the keyboard and we got through without the lead guitar player. The other guitar player would take the leads. So I would fill in a little bit knowing the same three chords on the keyboard. I got through two summer, <clears throat> two summers playing keyboard. It was spattering of keyboard. So uh, my keyboard experience was uh, not that great either. But over the years, I picked up enough for somebody, some real keyboard player could show me play this and I would learn that so I could get by on the keyboard a little bit. I did play keyboard on the Don't Fear the Reaper, which is uh, 1976. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's me on the original recording playing the keyboard. Tainted Blood, I do play a little uh, keyboard on that. And that's a song I wrote with the help of uh, Richie Castellano. On iTunes, you did a Q&A about the various tracks on the album, The Symbol Remains. Yes. And I found that really interesting in that two of the songs you wrote, the lyrics anyway, while flying, I guess, back and forth from Florida or wherever. And uh, Tainted Blood was one of them. And the other one was Standard Fight, correct? Right. Those two. And in your description, you said that they're like totally different songs. I was just wondering, especially the tainted blood and how you explain that a suicidal vampire who tries to kill himself can't really kill himself because well, it defeats the purpose of being a vampire, which is vampires, as the legend goes, nothing kills them, right? I, I guess, unless it's a stake in the heart. So explain what the hell was going on when you came up with that thought of tainted blood and the vampire. Well, uh, the uh, my idea of that song was, why would a vampire who can live forever, ostensibly, want to kill himself? And that was the hook of the song. Then I came up with, well, if he lost his love, oh. he might want to die. So then you get to the chorus, you know, put a stake through my heart, da, 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 you know, that part of the song. Uh, that's, you know, he says, you know, kill me. That's what that song is about. He, he, he loses his love early in the song. Yeah, it's sort of like the movie Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula, remember? He didn't want to live uh, without his, the love of his life. So I could see what, where, you're, where you got some of that, I guess, the, the idea for it. Oh, I was just talking to a, a, a guy who was very steeped in film the other day, a film professor. We were just discussing that movie and um, how unusual that movie is. If you go back and watch it, it doesn't have any music. And huh. how unusual and stark that movie is because there's no 
There's no music in that movie, nor I, Frankenstein either, the original. I never, I never noticed that. Wow. Go back, go back and watch. There's no music in that movie. And oh. it makes it so bizarre and so creepy because there's no mood music in it. I never even thought about that. See, the little things that some people point out are just amazing. You also have in the same album, um, Florida Man. Why don't you, in your own words, tell us what Florida Man is about? Because <clears throat> when I read the description on iTunes, I thought that's kind of funny. You wrote this well before everything that was going on, I think, with COVID-19. And Florida, just in so many ways, is an enigma wrapped in a, in a riddle. I don't know how to explain it. Like, So please explain the, the song. Uh, it, it seems like it's sort of a meme at this point about crazy people in Florida and stuff they do. Uh, and in the lyric, if you could decipher them, there's verses about Florida men doing stuff. I have a feed of stuff Florida man does what? I mean, it must be 10 of them a day. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. I it, mean, and, it, and long before you, COVID-19, too. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, and this song was written before uh, COVID. You know, Florida man. There's one in the paper here the other day. Florida man cuts off rival's penis. They get it and they try to sew it back on. I mean, it's something like that all the time down here. Or and just crazy stuff. And and the lead uh, in the paper is Florida man all the time. Florida man this, Florida man that. Uh, Buck got the idea. He got a hold of John Shirley, who's a co-writer with us on a lot of stuff. And he said, you know, write a song, write me some lyrics based on crazy shit that Florida men do. So uh, <laughs> I, I think he got a hold of just regular news stories about the Florida man. Excuse me, I'm going to put my... Excellent. This is spam. spam. Oh. This is the uh, the theme from Mothra. Yeah, you really are into those old, uh, I guess, Godzilla. Yeah, I'm going to put it on. Uh, Actually, uh, I want to talk about the making of this album, The Symbol Remains. There's some very funny things that we went back and forth over. I don't know when it was. It was maybe a couple of years ago. I get a bright idea at, I think, 630 in the morning. And I'm like, I got to text Eric right away about this. And I don't know what it was. I was so excited about it. It's like, Zach, it's 630 in the morning. You woke me up. I'm like, oh, sorry. It might have been earlier. I don't know, Eric. So I have a habit of doing that. Like, you know, when I get an idea, I don't expect anybody to answer the text right away. But there you are. You, I woke you up. And then along the way, you were talking this. You were so pumped up about this album, and it's a throwback recording because you actually got you guys went to the studio. I don't know if you played live in some of the tracks or you multi-tracked or exactly what happened on each one, but you were so excited. You're like, dude, I, I you got to hear the demos, and I never got around to hearing the demos. The demos were that good, and then the end result was this album. I'm sure that you know most people will be blown away. What do you feel after all of these years? I think it's been 19 years, if memory serves correct, since your last album, right? Something like that? Yeah. What was it like to just decide at one point where, all right, Buck, we're going to go back, or Eric, we're going to go back in the studio, we're going to bring some new guys in, and we're going to put together this album. What, what happened in that process? Uh, again, a long story, but, you know, our management uh, was looking for a record deal a couple of years ago. Uh, this Italian company, Frontiers, was interested. There's a lot of negotiating. There was, there was a package deal because uh, we had a lot of products that actually came back to our ownership over the last decade. Uh, the two CMC albums we put out 20 years ago, 19 years ago, 18 years ago, which are out of, they're out of print. They're, they're no longer, you can't find them anymore. They came back to our ownership, the masters. 
they agreed to re-release -re both of them, uh, Heaven Forbid and Curse of the Hidden Mirror, the last two albums we put out. So they agreed to re-release those. Uh, plus there's a couple of live records and radio concerts, things like that, that were released years ago that came back to our ownership. So they said, well, all right, we'll release those as well, all part of the deal. So it became a big package deal. So before this record came out, I think we put out three, four, five re-releases, including the uh, cult classic album, uh, which was released quite a while ago, also was re-released. So this became more than just a new album. It was a, a plethora of re-releases. Of course, the main cherry uh, on the tree was the new album. And uh, our fans were eagerly awaiting some new music from us. We started writing in, uh, I would say, early 19. Uh, Buck had some songs already, and the rest of us got to work. And there it goes, you know. Uh, we started writing. Everybody put something in. And uh, over a course of time, we started rehearsing uh, Long Island. Out uh, There's a rehearsal place in Deer Park. We started rehearsing. Mm -hmm. And uh, bit by bit, slowly, the songs congealed and uh, got, came into arrangements. Before we know it, we had, first we had two, three songs, then we had four, five songs, six, seven songs. Eventually came out to 14 songs. I say, we're done. You know, that's yeah. enough. It's practically a double album, for God's sakes. And it was a double album as far as vinyl is concerned. Uh, then we started recording. Now, we recorded at uh, Mercy College up in Westchester. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. And uh, our sound man, uh, Steve Lacerra, who's our tour manager slash uh, front of house uh, sound man, he teaches there. And they have a nice recording studio there. Wow. And one of our ex-crew guys is the head of that studio. Brilliant. So uh, it's a state-of-the-art place there, and they teach recording, uh, which is a wonderful thing if you want to learn sound recording. Uh, we made a handshake with them uh, to lock out their main room for a period of time. And, of course, they would get great kudos. on Blue Oyster Cult made their new album at their studio. So we did, and we recorded the whole album there, uh, all the basic tracks, and then, uh, then COVID hit. Yes. I, so, yeah. so all the vocals, all the overdubs, all the bass, a lot of the bass parts we kept, but some of the overdub bass parts, all the keyboard parts and all the harmony parts, everything else was done from home. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sitting in the room, I did all my vocals in right now. Right. Uh, all my keyboard parts, my guitar parts. Richie did all his guitar parts from home. Buck did all his from home. And uh, through the miracle of technology, uh, it was all done long distance i just do have a question just in the recording aspect of it when you were doing your vocals how did the you compensate for that refraction sound the hollow sound of the room how did you do um that? uh we started doing some research <clears throat> actually before we left the studio up north i tested every mic in the room that was a reasonable to buy i found a good 500 hundred dollar microphone which is a reasonably priced microphone yeah compared to uh some four or five thousand dollar microphones you might use in a studio uh you picked a good mic that's how my voice sounded good on we bought one we bought a mic stand we bought a few little other odds and ends and um, we put pro tools on my laptop the same laptop i'm using right now to talk to you i bought a portable isolation booth portable and i mean very portable that um was basically tubing that i could assemble myself uh that would connect like that and made oh, a, yeah. a square booth uh -huh. with an open back and literally packing blankets that right. hung from the top with hooks and it did a tremendous job.
You know, I was talking to Alice Cooper the other day, and he said, because of this downtime. What I've admired about you over uh, our many interactions and conversations is you're, you're a very smart man. You're intellectually curious, and you're always willing to share information. I, I just like the way you think. And, and there's not too many rock and rollers that I can think of that have that intellectual capacity like you do, that highbrow sense of looking at things and trying to, you have various interests. And I, I just think that that brings a lot more to your music when you, when you record it. It's funny you talk about that because, you know, I was telling you before we went on the air, I just happened to watch MTV for the first time in probably 30 years the other night because I was going through the channels and I just stopped on MTV and it said, videos of the Grammy nominees. I said, okay, maybe I should watch this. I said, because Grammy nominees videos, maybe I should educate myself of what's going on in the music business besides the people I know. So I watched it for about a half hour. And I can't say I was shocked, but I was a little, a little, uh, not even taken aback. I was just a little surprised because, um, okay, most of it was hip hop, which I, I can understand. There was uh, Harry Styles, who I certainly understand. And uh, he's turned himself into a very good dancer. There was a video where he actually was dancing quite well. There was uh, acts like Megan Thee Stallion, which is a hip hop uh, female act, and uh, who I saw on SNL and discovered for myself way after she was popular. There was Dua Lipa, who I absolutely adore. I think she's fantastic. And she was a breath of fresh air on this half hour of video watching. I was one, I was uh, watching that last night. There was um, uh, several other hip hop acts uh, like uh, uh, Baby, uh, other acts, you know, whether you're familiar with them or not, I, I, I just not. But there was no rock whatsoever. Maybe if I watch for a half hour more, maybe there'd be a rock act. But uh, there's just, there's just, there's no rock and roll in this uh, Grammy picture of what's popular with uh, people today. Rock and roll radio stations that we have nowadays are not like the ones we grew up with. And I think that th there is a comparison. Early days in the history of 1027 WNEW in New York, which is a great station that you and I are both familiar with, and both her friends is Scott, Scott Muni. There was a time where you could hear ACDC followed by uh, Barbara Streisand, if you remember. Uh, they would do very eclectic well, well, yeah. mixing. So, and, and and a promoter like Bill Graham, yes, may may rest in peace. You know, he would put on a show with mixed acts. Like he would have the he would have the uh, the Uptown Horns with Steppenwolf. There was a, a a story that Anna Nancy Wilson was telling me a long time ago, in which they went to go see their one of their first concerts was the Fifth Dimension and Led Zeppelin, and they ended up leaving when Led Zeppelin did the Lemon Song because it scared them. They ran right out of the bed. <laughs> Fifth Dimension well, and Led Zeppelin. How about that? No, there was always, you know, the, Bill Graham was famous for mixing it up with uh, shows like that. I thought it was great. You know, it, you know, who needs, you know, four metal bands? Your ears bleed, you know, after a yeah, while. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, after a while, it's too much, too loud. And, and yeah, I get you. You got to have some, a little bit of a change up there. Otherwise, it just, boom, it's like a sound blast. You end, yeah, up, so end up nauseous on the way out. Death. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, that that's my my you know uh, my only uh, comment on uh, this uh, so-called uh, who's who's ever voting for the Grammys. I believe that's a, a Naris uh, members. Yeah. National well, Academy of Recording Arts and Science members, that's which I used to be, but I gave it up. Well, I just so you know how the voting goes. If anybody is interested, SAG after just had their uh, SAG. Well, you vote for the SAG awards, right? And here's what I did. That's what I did. I didn't see any of the movies. I'm not into movies. 
I'm, I just got through all the Marvel series with my daughter through COVID-19, you know, all of those things. Had to figure out what was going on. I voted for uh, Chadwick Boseman. I didn't see the movie. And I'm like, well, I'm voting for Chad. Rest in peace. And I voted for him. Sometimes the people win just by their name, not because of the greatness of their acting or the greatness of the tune or or any of that stuff. Sometimes you just win because, doggone it, people like you and they <laughs> want to vote for you. Or very often they vote for actors who've been around for 20, 30 years and they win for dint of, you know, they have a new movie they'd never won before. So uh, let's give it to them. Yeah, that's that's how it works. Now, uh, I think, and I don't know how you feel about this, Blue Oyster Cult deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I, w- I would agree with you, but we've never even been nominated. I, I can't. You know, here's, a, here's a list, just a partial list of people who are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Pat Benatar has not made it in yet. Think about that. Pat Benatar. Um, Bad Company is not in. Styx is not in. Blue Oyster Cult's not in. Vanilla Fudge, of all groups, is not in. And when you think about the history of rock and roll Led Zeppelin, they're tied together, right? So I, I just don't understand why they even call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. When How about uh, Kansas? Kansas, another one. Yeah. Uh, uh, sweet. Is Boston in? I, I'm, I don't know. I, I, they might be. They might be. But the, the case in point is that some of the greatest bands that we all knew and grew up with, especially listening to FM radio, BOC included, not in the Rock and Hall of fa- uh, Fame, I think, as a travesty. I'm not holding my breath. You yeah. know, it, it, it's all up to uh, <clears throat> Mr. Wenner, I believe. Thank you for spending time with me. Thank you for always being open to talk with, wh- about what's going on with Boyce Chacolt, with yourself. Love talking sports. We could probably spend a few hours on Mets baseball. We never even got to professional wrestling. Or NASCAR. Your NASCAR or, or NASCAR. Who's your favorite WWE wrestler. Uh, I, I I like Roman Reigns right now. Roman Reigns is good, yeah. New HD is a unique media platform giving a means of expression to millions of individuals living on the autistic spectrum as well as other additional needs. Talent meets opportunity on New HD where the neurodivergent community is given a voice in an environment adapted to their needs. For more information, follow us on Twitter at New HD Radio. Follow BFA on Facebook at Big Fat America. Zach Martin on Twitter at Zach Martin Rocks. And Zach Martin on Instagram. Wait, Zach is on Instagram? I can guarantee he has no clue how to use that. See all the interviews and videos at ZachMartinRocks.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.